if someone walked up to you and said, how can I be saved? What can I do to make sure that I'll go to heaven when I die? What would you say? Would you be able to give a clear explanation? The Bible never says you're saved by inviting Jesus into your heart or by praying any particular prayer. How exactly does the gospel work? If you're investigating Christianity and you want to know how Christianity is different from other religions, or if you just want to know how... If you just want to be able to sum the whole thing up in 15 minutes so that you can clearly explain it to someone else how it works, today's episode is for you. Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Because I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He not only considered everything a loss, but following Christ cost him pretty much everything in his life. Okay, so up to this point in Philippians 3, I realize I haven't made a great case for becoming a Christian because all I've talked about is loss. <laughs> it's like, this is not very compelling. Come to Christ so you can lose everything. But that's not the whole story. It's not loss for the sake of loss. It's loss for the sake of gain. Gain. It's, it's, what it is is having a lot of trash in your hand and dumping the trash out of your hands so that you have room to receive a priceless gift. And what is the gift? What is the, what is the gain? What is it that we're going to gain? Paul used to have this huge resume of all these religious achievements and impeccable law-keeping and, and everything on the prophet side that was in his hands. And now he moved that all over the negative side. Now that's all loss, which means he's way in the hole, right? So he's going to have to get something over here in the prophet column that is so valuable that it not only makes up all his debt, but it goes further than that because you can't just get to zero, Right? In order to get to heaven on Judgment Day, you can't have zero in your ledger. The only people that go to heaven on, on Judgment Day are the people that are righteous before God. Righteous. So you've got to get it out of debt, back to zero, and then all the way up to full-blown righteousness. Now, what is righteous? Not, not righteous by human standards. Not just righteous compared to really bad people. That's what most people think righteous is. No, not righteous compared to really bad. Not, not even righteous compared to the average person. You have to be righteous according to God's standard in the Bible, which means fulfilling everything that God has revealed in the Bible as good. If you're, in other words, being righteous means being just as good as Jesus Christ. If you are not as good as Jesus Christ in God's sight, you are unrighteous. That's what you need. That's how much profit you need in the profit side. So if, if you're not as good, so if you, can you see why Paul arrived at the conclusion that his only hope is to have Christ on the profit side of his ledger? That's the only asset big enough to cover all the losses and bring you up to full righteousness. So verse 8, he says that I may gain Christ. I consider it all loss. I consider it all trash that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. 
I need, I need a righteous there, righteousness over there in my profit column, that, but, but, but any righteousness that comes from my own law-keeping, it's not going to be near enough. Uh, that'll just get, that's what got me so far in debt. It'll just get me further in debt if I try that. So I, I can't have a righteousness like that that comes from me. The only thing that's going to work for me is if I have a righteousness that comes from God. If the standard is perfection, I can't generate that. The only store that has that item in stock is God Mart, right? <laughs> Perfection can only come from God nowhere else. But there's a problem. If God just makes me perfect, I mean, if He did something so from this moment forward, I never sin again the whole rest of my life, I'm just like Jesus, I do everything perfectly, I still wouldn't be fully righteous in His sight because I got a past. So what I'm going to need is for God to just take Christ's perfect righteousness and credit the whole thing to my account from birth to death. I'm going to have to get into a kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so close that we're just like this so that when, when God looks at me, he, he just sees his son, Jesus Christ, and says, now that is righteous. And I'm just in on it. So let's just jump back into my little parable for a minute. Every time that guy feels guilty, the guy, that, the drunk guy, every time he feels guilty and he has pangs of conscience, he comes to you and he's like, man, what do I have to do? I feel like I still haven't done enough. What do I have to do to make it up to you? And, and, and you tell him, you don't have to do anything. I just, I just want you, I'm willing to forgive you. I just want you to realize the seriousness of what you've done. If you just take my son's life seriously, that's all I'm asking. Well, one day, It happens. He, something happens. I don't know if the guy just loses a loved one or something, something happens, but, but he comes to you with tears streaming down his face and he just says, I finally realize what I've done. I, I can see it now. Oh, there's no words to tell you how sorry I am. How could I have thought that doing favors for you could make up for the death of your son? Oh, there's nothing I could do. I'm totally at your mercy. I'm just throwing myself on your mercy. My only hope is that you just forgive me. And he drops down on his knees on the ground, just literally begs you for forgiveness. And that's just what you need to hear. You pull him up off his knees and you, you wrap your arms around him and you say, of course, you're fully forgiven and, 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 and you reconcile. Okay, now, now let, me just, let me just tweak the story a little bit. It turns out the son's alive. Somehow, some amazing turn of events didn't explain. He, he, he survived, and he got back, and he made it back to camp. And now, the, after this guy asks for forgiveness, it, your son is there, and it touches his heart so much that those two men start to develop a deep friendship. Your son and this guy, and before long, they are best friends. They are always together. They're eating at each other's house for dinner, and they're over at your house all the time. And just, this guy is now part of your family. He's just part of the family. And, and, and you see what a dear friend this man has become to your son. And so now you, actually, you, you love this guy like he's your own son. And one day you hear a noise outside at, at your house, and you look, and here's this guy, and he's mowing your yard. And you're like, what are you doing? And he's it's like, you know what? I, I, I just knew you were super busy this week. Uh, I just want to do something for you just to brighten up your day a little bit. I just wanted to express my appreciation for you. And it really does brighten your day. It, it, to, to receive a gesture of friendship like that from somebody that you really, really love, it, 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 it makes you happy. The last time he mowed your yard, it made you furious. It was a stinging insult. This time, you love it. And you accept it as a gesture of love. 
What's the, what made the difference? His relationship with your son. The first time he was demeaning and desecrating the memory of your son. This time he's honoring your son. That's how legalists serve God. They, the legalists in, in Philippians 3, they were trying to serve God like the first story, and it was a stinking pile of manure in God's sight. Paul was serving God, and it was pleasing to God. How can they serve God and it's manure, and he serves God and it's pleasing? And they're both serving God. Why is it different? Because of the relationship to the Son of God. Paul could do that because Paul was righteous in God's sight, and he was righteous in God's sight because he was found to be so through his association with God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means by being found in Christ. Innocence by association. So Paul puts, I think, kind of an elegant twist on the wording in Matthew 16. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, um, you know, whatever, in order to gain your life, you have to lose it. Instead of saying that, Instead of saying, I consider my past life lost that I might find it, he says, I consider my life lost that I might be found, that I might be found by God to be in Christ. It's that connection with Christ that makes his righteousness good in God's sight. It's all about knowing Christ. And I know that there's many people in our society that object to that whole concept. They don't like the idea of knowing God. They don't think that you can know God because they, 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 they think if God is a person, he's just a person that can be known personally, they say that's reductionistic. This is just a common belief in our secular culture today. They think the, the greatest being in all of existence can't be a person. Right? He has to be greater than that. He has to be some unknowable, undefinable, incomprehensible reality out there that could never be known by human beings. You know, he's, he's like the force in Star Wars, you know. Or he's, he's, uh, one popular view in our culture, especially in the movies, is just think the universe is God. You just take the whole universe, everything in existence, put it all together, that's God. That's actually a low view of God, not a high view of God. And I want to see if I can show that to you. They're the ones that are guilty of reductionism. Because if that's all God is, just the universe, just an impersonal force, if that's all God is, if he's not a person, then that means, for one thing, he has no ability to love, right? Stuff, doesn't, that wall does not love you. It can't. It's not capable of it. God would have no ability to love. He would be incapable of having compassion. He would be incapable of communication. He'd be deaf and dumb. He would be incapable of knowledge. He would be incapable of wisdom. He would be ignorant. He would have no intentions, no motives, no plans, no thought, no will. He'd be incapable of any emotion. He would not take delight in good, beautiful things because he would be incapable of delight he would not hate evil. He wouldn't get angry if somebody hurts you. He would not uh, love justice. Folks, a God like that would be far less than a human being. Because human beings can do all that stuff. That's not a high view of God. The reality is, the living God is a person who can be known personally. And those who know him 
he adopts into his family and he is a father to them. He credits Jesus' righteousness to their account and they are righteous and pleasing in his sight and then he deals tenderly with them and compassionately with them and every moment that they spend in his presence changes them and gives them more joy and more hope and more satisfaction and encouragement and strength and peace. That's God. That's the true God. So yes, it is possible to have a personal relationship with God. But how? How is it done? This will be our last point. How do you gain Christ? How can you make sure that you are, like Paul, found in Christ on Judgment Day? Like this with Christ on Judgment Day. How do you have a, a, a close relationship with somebody who is invisible? You can't see him, you can't touch him, you can't hear him. What is the basis of this relationship that makes you so close that his righteousness is credited to your account? The answer to that is in verse 9. Look at verse 9. He says, And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is what? Through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. He says it twice. You, you, you don't come to know Christ just by acting like you know Christ. <laughs> but just like acting like a Christian. That's not how you can come to become a Christian. There are a lot of people who think that's all you need to do. If you want to become a Christian, you just, you just act like a Christian. You start reading your Bible, you pray, you come to church, you give offering and you do whatever and you just, you, you, you just act like a Christian. That would be like someone saying, he's just like some random kid who wanted to inherit my money when I die, and so he just starts acting like a Ferguson. And he, he just like, he just to do whatever he can do to be like a Ferguson. So he hangs out at our house, and he, he calls himself a Ferguson, and he, 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 he talks like we talk, and he observes our traditions that we observe, and he, he, he buys a car that breaks down every time he drives it, and he, you know, all the, whatever he can do to be like a Ferguson. That wouldn't make him a member of my family, right? It would just make him weird. For, for, for him to become a member of my family, I would have to formally adopt him, right? It's the same way with God's family. It's exactly the same way. You're not a member of God's family just because you come to church and you start to act like a Christian. The only way to become part of God's family is to be formally adopted by God the Father. And God has made it very, very clear how that happens. How? By faith in Jesus Christ through faith alone. That is the only way to become an actual child of God. And, and, and faith is, you know, faith is more than just believing information, right? It's, it's trust. It includes believing information, but it's also trusting Him. You know you have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when you trust Him more than you trust yourself, right? So, so uh, when, when everything in you says, this would make me happy, this is the way to happiness, and then the Bible says, no, that won't, this is the way to the greatest joy, it's the opposite direction, and it just doesn't compute in your mind, you can't, it's like, no way, what are you going to do? When you face that, what are you going to do? It depends on who you trust more, yourself or Christ. See? As soon as you believe the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him enough to follow Him no matter where He leads, no matter what the cost, that's the moment when you have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that moment, when that happens, you have that faith. God adopts you into his family and you become so closely related, so closely associated with the Lord Jesus Christ that his righteousness is credited to your account. That's how it works. 
And that's, that's not just something Paul came up with. He got that straight from Jesus. You know, sometimes people try to say Paul and Jesus taught two different messages. Uh, not true. They both taught salvation through faith alone. John 6, 28. They asked Jesus, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is this. Believe in the one that he sent. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life John 3 36 whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life God's wrath remains on him this is the heart of the Christian faith <laughs> if you think that that Christianity is all about giving things up just giving stuff up not doing the fun stuff in life if you think it's mainly about following rules and saying no to pleasure and toeing the line and all you think that? Think again. If you think it's mainly about loss, think again. It's about gain. It's not about loss. It's about gain. It's not about saying no to what's good. It's about saying yes to what's better. It's about Psalm 63.3. Your love, God, is better than life. That's the message of the gospel. Christ is better than anything. Don't go away sad like the rich young ruler. Go away rejoicing like the man who found a priceless treasure in a field. Father, open our eyes to see this. Let us see the glory of Christ. We pray this week after week. Let us see His greatness. Let us see His wonders and Him as a feast, Him as food and drink, Him as a delight, Him as our only refuge. Let us see it. We know it. I mean, the Bible says it, we know it, we memorize it and everything, but let us see it, let, us, let it feel that way to us so that when we give up anything in this world, it is a joy because of what we're gaining. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.